It's great to see everybody here uh, today and um, excited because I say this every time we launch a series. I'm more excited about this one than the one we did before. Um, maybe it's my short attention span. I'm not sure. But this one's fun, right? Uh, what the Bible doesn't say, things that we uh, often, I guess they've morphed through the years and become phrases that uh, people now quote as being, well, the good book says, and they say things, and it's not in the good book at all. It's not in any book, actually, but <laughs> they just kind of morph. So we're going to talk about that, and the, the good thing about this series is this series is going to make you be really smart, right? Because next time you hear someone say, like, dude, everybody knows that's not in the Bible, really. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Man, you guys, come on. That was like my funny for the day, and you just sat there. Wow. Tough crowd this morning, yeah. <laughs> so I think it'll, it'll do more than just give you an edge in a conversation. Um, this actually will help clear up some, some misconceptions that, that have formed. And I believe, as with anything that we do here, it has a purpose. And that purpose is to help you draw closer to Christ and grow in your relationship with him. So that's going to be a side effect the main goal of what this is, all the other stuff, is just an added benefit. So there's a couple of examples of, of sayings that people will often say come from the Bible. So here's one of them. I was in, I was in seminary. I was in a theology class. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're in that environment, you know, you're in a tie and a suit, and you want to be smart because you have a professor up there who knows the Bible. And so a guy sitting next to me says, raises his hand. He has a question. He says this one. We all know that the Bible says an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Well, that's not in the Bible. And so half the class is like, <laughs> so there went his moment in the, in the limelight. Uh, this is a common one, though. I mean, you may have heard it. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. It is not in the Bible. Um, it sounds like it could be. It sounds reasonable to me. Uh, there's another one um, that is often quoted, and that is cleanliness is next to godliness. How many of you have people you know in your life that you'd like to preach that message to, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's not in the Bible. And then here's one of my favorites. My, one of my favorites is this, stupid is as stupid does. Actually, that's not one at all. That's just a great quote from Forrest Gump, right? <laughs> all right, you guys are awake now, right? Uh, this is not often attributed to the Bible. So it's just a good quote from Forrest Gump, and it's a good method to live, message to live by. All right, so we're going to deal with some of these over the next couple of weeks, and today we're starting with one that is, I think, common, um, and this one's a little tough, right? And it's this, God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard that before? Has anyone ever said, you know, the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves, so get with it, and it's not even in the Bible. I mean, I, I, if we were adding pages, I mean, it would be a good one to add. It's, it's good. Uh, it's a good, seems like a good principle to live by. God helps those who help themselves. That seems reasonable and seems like a very upstanding uh, thing to do. But, but it's not in the Bible. And, and, and the reason why this is one that we're talking about is because the danger of this principle and the danger of this misquote is, is what we're going to talk about. And I, I believe it, it has a tendency to foster an attitude of self-sufficiency and self-dependency. And while if you just take it at face value, you know, one of the things that it seems like we struggle with in our society today is just nobody wants to take responsibility for anything, right? It's always somebody else's fault. You know, it's because, you know, I'm wearing black shoes today and it's blue shoe day. I don't, you know, there's always something that it could be, but it's not because I did anything wrong. So 
there's a message, method, message in here that's true, but I want to kind of unpack it because there's a strong misconception as a result of this, and I believe it can really lead, it can lead to some wrong thinking and ultimately prevent you from growing in Christ. So, for example, if, if, you, if you live with that philosophy that God helps those who help themselves, here's a byproduct of that. You begin to take credit when things go good in your life. You with me? Well, I clearly worked hard, and God saw I worked hard, and so he was nice to me. And so, therefore, all these great things that are happening in my life, well, basically, it's because I'm doing a good job. Right? We can take credit for what's going on great in our life. The other thing is, what about those people that can't help themselves? Does that mean God just rejects them? I mean, do they just don't count because they can't help themselves, so therefore God's not going to help them? Well, that kind of messes up the whole gospel message, doesn't it? Kind of throws a monkey wrench in that. Or, or this, I'll just work harder. If I work harder, God will do more good things for me. That means you're trying to earn your way into salvation. That means you're trying to earn your way into God's favor. And let me tell you something. You will never be good enough. You will never be smart enough. You will never be clean enough. You will never be perfect enough to earn God's favor. The beauty of it is he didn't ask for any of that. He just says, let me do the heavy lifting and let me save your life because you need a savior, right? So this is a byproduct of that philosophy or this less fortunate people are singularly responsible and the products of their own making. Man, can you see how this can create a very self-righteous attitude in us? Or it creates this attitude that says, well, you know, I'm justified in not helping someone less fortunate than I am because clearly they're just not doing, they kind of brought this on themselves, right? That's contrary to the gospel message, isn't it? Right? Because the Bible does teach us that when we do things for others, right? When we do acts of kindness for others, when we give to others, we're actually giving it as we're giving it to God. So clearly that is a principle that this misquote or misconception violates. And so we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit more uh, through the course of these next couple weeks and the reason why we're focusing on things the Bible doesn't say. Our modern culture kind of teaches us this, and that is we have to look out for number one, right? I got to look out for me because nobody else is going to do that. Or I need to focus on my needs and wants, and then if I have anything left over, I'll be happy to share. Well, maybe not happy to share, but I will maybe begrudgingly share. Um, So This attitude kind of fosters the way our society operates. And, you know, the other thing is we get this whole God church thing. It's it's a nice support system, uh, but ultimately it's up to me what becomes of my life. It's ultimately my decision. After all, God helps those who help themselves, right? This is the fallacy of this thing that's often uh, misrepresented. So Jesus calls us to something different and something significantly greater than that kind of mindset. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because God has a purpose, and God has a plan, and God wants you to know that your life has value, and God wants you to know that he created you and he equipped you, but you do not have to do things to earn the gifts that he gives you. You don't have to do things to convince him you're good enough for him to pour his love and compassion and blessing and favor in your life. Can you do things that put you in a different position with God? Absolutely. But nobody gets an edge or an advantage when it comes to salvation. 
He said, anyone who's willing, I'm willing to take on, right? So the nastiest person you know, the kindest person you know, they're all equal when it comes to the cross. We all need a Savior. Amen. So Jesus flips this thing on its ear, and let's look at what the Bible actually says about it. And if you go to Matthew chapter 6, pop up on the screen, we're going to read a passage of Scripture here that kind of debunks this philosophy or this idea that God helps those who help themselves. So Jesus is teaching here, and he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? I'm not sure where he's heading here, but I'm thinking, okay, maybe we need to talk about this a little bit, because I get hungry, I need to eat. Right? You all had that same problem? But Jesus is saying, don't, don't even think about that stuff. He says, therefore I tell you, actually, let's skip ahead, sorry. Look, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And verse 27 is just, it's one of those verses that just kind of hits you like just a sledgehammer to the forehead. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I mean, I'm good at worrying. I'll live to be a thousand years old if this were true. <laughs> but it doesn't do anything. He's simply saying, it really doesn't matter what you do. Quit worrying about the basics. Quit worrying about the things that are just natural in life because all that worrying is not going to do anything for you. He says in verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? Well, clearly you hadn't seen me without any. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, and if you don't know who Solomon is, Solomon was the wealthiest man of his era. So he had everything. He had anything and everything. And Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed not even closely to one of the flowers of the field. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, this is a very contrary kind of teaching, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up when my alarm goes off on Monday morning thinking, oh, I just cannot wait to go to work because I just love all the people I work around, and I, they don't even have to pay me. I just love my job. No. I'm motivated to wake up when the alarm goes off after a few snooze hits. You know, I know you all want to do that. But a couple of those, and, and then I, you know, get dressed, and I muddle through my Monday, and I get there at work. And the reason why I'm motivated to do that is because every two weeks there's something shows up in my bank account that gets me food and clothes and a place to live. And that's kind of motivating, right? Because without those things, I don't like being hungry. I get hangry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You get hangry, right? And my wife would kick me out of the house if I didn't eat. So this is clearly, he's not saying that those things aren't important. But he's saying that there's, there's something else to it. There's something on the other side of how we view things. And he's telling us that, there's something we should pay attention to. The, you know, I want you to understand that I'm not advocating that you don't work. I mean, everybody's like, you should come to my church. We don't have to work, they said. <laughs> Jesus said he'll take care of those things for you, period. That's a great post, right? Church will be filled next Sunday. 
You don't have to work at that church. No, that's clearly not what God is saying here because in the scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, this is written. It says, if a person does not care for his family, the people he's responsible for, he is worse than someone that doesn't even believe in God. So clearly, and, and there's another passage that says that a laborer is worthy of his hire. So clearly working and paying for yourself and taking care of yourself and providing food is necessary, right? So what is it Jesus is trying to tell us here? And how is this contrary to a very common phrase that is God helps those who help themselves? Well, in verse 33 of the same chapter, after Jesus did all those comparisons, he says this, and this is the key. He says, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then he makes this statement, all these things will be given to you as well. This is the key principle, and this is the thing that is the counter to the philosophy that says God helps those who help themselves. And that is this. God it makes a clear statement here of what is first, what is meant to be first in your life. He makes a clear distinction of what is supposed to be the priority in your life, the first priority in your life. Priority, by definition, indicates something that has a very high value. Right? If you have something that you put a priority on, that means it gets your attention, it gets your focus, it gets your energy. And so with, with this clear distinction, he goes through the basic fundamentals of life. And then he says, but if this is what I need you to do, I need you to focus on a first priority, a principle. And that is seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness first. And then he will show you that those things will be added to you as are needed. So I did a little digging, and I found that Success Magazine did, did a, uh, an article. They published an article on three mistakes that people make when they're setting priorities. Because you have to set priorities in your life. If you don't set priorities in your life, you kind of just wander around aimlessly. How many of you all know your neighbor that runs around aimlessly, right? <laughs> know somebody that doesn't know really where they're going. It doesn't really matter. So if you're going to try to get control of your life and figure out where you're headed, you've got to set some priorities. If your family's important to you and they're a priority to you, then your life's going to show that they're important to you. They're a priority for you. So... They did this little analysis, this study, and, and the most common mistakes that people make in setting priorities is this. They don't think about it. They just don't think about it. I just, today's Sunday, great. I'm just going to do a Sunday day, and then tomorrow will be Monday. We'll just take it when it comes, right? Or the second thing is they make it too complicated. How many people know others that just, they make everything so complicated? It just doesn't have to be that complicated. Or the third is they just don't live their priorities. So, Let's take that simple uh, analysis, right? And we're talking about what Jesus said, that seeking the kingdom of God first is your first priority. It's the thing that should be front and center. So how many of you understand when you're struggling to kind of make that a priority in your life, maybe you're just not thinking about it. So therefore, it's not a priority in your life. You can say it is, but you're not living like it is. Or maybe you're just overcomplicating it. Maybe you've just made it so difficult to live for God that it's just you just don't have time to even do it. So, yes, it's a priority. You say it's a priority, but it's just too complicated to do. And then finally, you just don't live it. You say, how many of you know somebody that professes a lot about Jesus and Christianity, but all they do is profess? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to. Don't point at that guy. <laughs> right? People that, that profess things, but their priorities show something different. Their life shows something. If you have a priority in your life, your life will, will represent what you say your priority is. 
if you say that living for God is a priority, but you don't do anything remotely close to living for God, then clearly that's not a priority in your life. If you say your family and your marriage is the most important thing in your life, but you do everything but feed that and strengthen that and build that, then it really isn't a priority in your life. And so what Jesus is saying here is, look, I know you have to deal with all these natural elements. I know you have to put up with all these carnal things. Just, you know, just doing the things to keep the food on the table and the lights on. I know you have to do that. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that does not need to be your first priority. Make me your first priority, and then I will show you those other things will take care of themselves because I will give you favor in places that you need it. I will give you the ability to do better than you can do on your own. I will empower you and strengthen you and enable you, but you have to seek my kingdom and my face first. That's the first priority. That becomes the principle. God is asking to be the priority in your life, not just the second thing that you think about once every six days. But the thing that is the priority in your life, how you conduct your life, if God is the priority, it will have a different kind of life, right? We say this here all the time. God will save you from anything, but he will not leave you in that. When God becomes a priority in your life, things that that are contrary to him will start to change in your life. You'll start to see a difference in your life because that is not the priority anymore. He's the priority. So what does that look like for me? How can I take these things and make them a focus in my life? How can I, how can I go from a misconception of thinking that I've got to earn God's favor? How can I go from a, a wrong way of thinking that says I have to be a certain way in order for me to be the recipient of God's blessing? How can I, put, how can I make God the priority in my life? Because I don't know about you, that just doesn't, it just doesn't come with automatic answers, does it? I would like to know that God's the first in my life, but do I really know that? I don't. So what does that look like? How do I make that a priority? This is what I think that begins to reveal when someone is making God the priority in their life. Your relationship with God is not an enhancement to your life. It is your life. Your relationship with God is not an enhancement to your life. It's not protein powder you add to the the smoothie to just build you up a little bit. No. It is the essence of the smoothie. It's everything in it. That was a weird analogy. (laughs) It's the medicine. Sorry. He's not meant to be just something that you've added because it's a good thing to add. Like, I'm a churchgoer. I'm a Christ follower. That's great. Good for you. No, it's meant to be the focus of your life. He is meant to be your life. Your connection to your church community isn't just a support system that is for your benefit. But rather, it is a place where you are supposed to contribute your time, talent, and treasure so that someone else can find Christ and find hope. If you're here just because this place makes you feel good, then we need to have a talk, right? Because there's an expectation here, and that expectation here is if God has done something for you, you've got to find somebody else to help them find that same experience because that is why we exist. We exist here so that people can come to know Christ and so they can experience freedom, so they can discover their purpose, and so they can make a difference. That is why we exist, 
And so if, if church is just a nice place where you come and see your buddies and then you see them again seven days later, that's not what it's about. So much more than that. And if you put God first, if he's a priority in your life, he empowers you to make the right decisions when it comes to deciding career versus family. And we live in a society that will chew a family up for a career, right? We live in a society that says everything apart from your career is secondary. And that is what Jesus is addressing. Don't let the necessities drive you. You pursue me. The necessities will take care of themselves. Family units are more valuable than, than the digits you have in your bank account. And I will echo that there is a statement that would follow that by saying, yes, but if I don't have digits in my account, I can't have a family. I do agree with that. <laughs> Track with me here. If God is the priority, he is the focus, you know that family values matter. So he will give you the ability to make the right decisions so you do not have to sacrifice that family on the altar of convenience for your career. I'm passionate about this because so many people are living in fragmented relationships because everything else takes the precedence. And this is a priority. If you're seeking God's kingdom first, these are the areas that you're going to see in your life. It enables you to be the kind of spouse that builds up your partner, that loves your partner the way Christ loves you, and that will fight for a stronger marriage. Amen. Amen. This kind of priority will guide you through the challenging choices that you face in life, decisions that are difficult, decisions that you're not really sure which way you should go, but God will enable you to make the right decision. Come on, faith is not about something that we just profess. Faith is a way that we live. That's why the scripture teaches that we don't walk with our natural sight only, but rather we walk by faith. What that means is we have to walk our faith out. That means as we face life and we don't understand the, the challenges that we're facing, the dynamics that we're facing, the crossroads, we have to decide this way or this way. All of those things, when we're pursuing God and we're keeping him as the front and center of our life, he gives us the ability to make those decisions the right way. We don't know tomorrow, but he does. We don't know what the future holds, but he does. We don't know the best decision and how it's going to impact other people, but he does. So if we're seeking him first, then he enables us to make the right choices. There's nothing that speaks better about a person's relationship with Christ than the story they're living out in their life. And if you put God as the priority in your life, there will begin to be things that will happen in your life that people will begin to witness that God is at work in your life. He does not give you the end of the story at the beginning. He does not tell you that everything is going to be perfect. No, on the contrary, he says, we quote it all the time around here, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. 